The end of the season is coming. Where do we go from here? Blue 58! Hi, it's John Meerdink. We're back with Blue 58. I'm your host, as always, joined this week. A special guest, our special co-host from now on, Gary Zillavy, joins us on the podcast this week. Gary, how you doing? Great, John. How's it going over there? It's good to be with you here from what we're calling for now the Purple Bedroom Studio at the new Meerdink Homestead in Ellettsville, Indiana. Very excited to have you along, and maybe we'll post a picture on the on the site of our very high-tech setup tonight. But uh, before we get to that, let's jump right in with some headlines from this week in the world of the Packers. Uh, coming out of last week's game, Jordy Nelson, 118 yards on eight passes against the Houston Texans, his third 100-yard game of the season. Some people are wondering if Jordy Nelson could be comeback player of the year. Rob Domovsky writing for ESPN.com that Nelson caught eight passes, like I said, for 118 yards and his 10th touchdown pass of the season. Uh, The 31-year-old former pro bowler, Domovsky writes, regained the team lead from Devontae Adams in receiving yards and extended his team lead in receptions and touchdown catches. He reached double digits in touchdowns for the third time in his career. Gary, what do you think his case is for comeback player of the year? Well, first of all, his case is his competition first. Um, I, I think there's there's a pretty wide open field this year. Just off the top of my head, I think of DeMarco Murray in Tennessee, who you know, has gone from being a byproduct of a very good Cowboys offensive line to uh, a, a very good running back in, in his own remark in, in Tennessee. I think Matt Ryan in Atlanta has a has an interesting case to be made for for comeback player of the year. He's certainly uh, kind of channeled the Matty Ice reputation of old, uh, man. But Jordy Jordy's come on strong, and it's not so much about how you start, but how you finish. And uh, I think the last couple of weeks we've really started to see uh, a Jordy that that we might have remembered from previous seasons. Uh, I, I loved his energy. I loved I loved how excited he was. I thought that was something that I hadn't seen a whole lot from this year. We interacted a little bit during the game. I described him as pumped up Jordy. It was the first time we've seen that in a long time. Jordy Nelson, who looked like he was excited out there on the field. That's a 2014 reference to the song Pumped Up Kicks, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, it has to be. It can only be that. It pumped up kicks. Was that still around in 2014? That's probably, you're probably right. I, that, that's, that's 2011, that's I think. That's being a little generous. Well, looking back at some of the previous comeback player of the year winners, I think there's a bit of a theme here. The last five uh, have been Eric Berry, Rob Gronkowski, Philip Rivers, Peyton Manning, and Matthew Stafford. Now, I think you could say three of those five have some pretty serious injury or illness-related things that they had to overcome during their their comeback process. Eric Berry uh, coming back from leukemia, Rob Gronkowski, who is battling a serious injury, it seems like, almost every year, and, and Peyton Manning with his, his next situation that ended his time in Indianapolis. So I think Nelson's case is strengthened by the fact that he is coming back from a serious injury. Uh, the, the thing that bothers me with like comeback player of the year is when they give it to a guy like Philip Rivers or Matthew Stafford who just – they had a bad year, and then they had a good year the next year. I would rather not see something like that, and I think Nelson doesn't fit into that. Well, they should almost give those awards, in that case, to their coordinator or their position coach uh, if those changed instances. I I think Jordy Nelson certainly has the name recognition to win Comeback Player of the Year. Uh, oftentimes, you know, in those ballots, I can imagine there's a little bit of fatigue of, uh, I can't imagine Comeback Player of the Year is the the top line award on the voting ballot. Uh, so just as in the November elections, you have voter fatigue as you get through the ballot. 
I think you've got a little bit of that with comeback player of the year. And Jordy's a name where certainly there was a lot of talk about him being, uh, you know, uh, being a real reason why the Packers offense struggled. And if the Packers run the table this year, uh, I think Jordy's got to be right in there because he's going to be a big part of that. Well, don't discount the fact that he's a, a nice, clean-cut guy with a nice family. He's, he's the sort of guy that wins this kind of award, I think, if you if you know a little bit what I'm getting at. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. Um, and, and, and on that, Mark, John, about uh, the Packers needing Nelson down the stretch, I, I, got, I dug some, some interesting data up here. In December and January, Nelson is catching a higher percentage of the passes thrown his way, and that's throughout his career. He's about a 5% better catch rate uh, in December and January, and he averages an additional three yards a catch. Now, that doesn't sound like a whole lot, but given Nelson's longevity and his sample size, uh, that's a statistically relevant uh, number. Now, the bad, the Packers' remaining four games come up against three divisional opponents, and against divisional opponents, Chicago, Minnesota and Detroit, Nelson has typically averaged about two yard two receptions a game fewer than in games where he's not facing a divisional opponent. So, uh, sure seems like the Packers like to spread it out when they play their familiar foes, um, but they certainly will need Nelson down the stretch if they want to make a run. Certainly. Uh, speaking of comeback player of the year, one guy who's going to need a comeback here in his uh, own right in the very near future is Mitchell Henry. And if that name doesn't sound particularly familiar, there's good reason. He was a Packers uh, practice squad tight end for parts of the last two seasons. He's bounced around to a couple other teams as well, spent some time with Denver last year, had been with the Baltimore Ravens. He was recently released from the Ravens practice squad. And if you believe the story written by, again, Rob Domovsky of ESPN.com, that may actually have saved his life. Uh, let me quote a chunk of that story to you right here. Quote, according to a source, the tight end from Western Kentucky began to experience pain in his shoulder a few days after he was cut November 10th by the Ravens, who told Henry they intended to re-sign him the following week. The Ravens told Henry to stay in Baltimore after he was released, but he wanted to go home to spend the weekend hunting with his father and to be with his wife, Madison. While in Kentucky, Henry went to a hospital where doctors found a, a mass in his chest. That mass turned out to be cancerous, and he is now receiving treatment uh, for that situation. I don't have a whole lot to add here, but just a, just a tough break for what seems like a, a nice young man. And early on in his NFL career, we wish him all the best. Gary, anything to add there? I, I loved the, the little anecdote. Uh, I think he posted on Twitter a screenshot of Peyton Manning. Uh, dropping him a text message of support. And uh, now there's a contact that uh, he'll probably always have in his phone contacts, no matter uh, how few or how, how often he hears from Peyton in the future. Hey, kids, gather around. Let's look at Peyton Manning's contact. Yeah, and you can actually find some information online. We'll post a link into the in the show notes to where you can donate to Mitchell Henry and his family for his ongoing treatment if you so choose finally rounding out headlines this week julius peppers pondering retirement this one from ryan wood at the green bay press gazette uh, quoting here peppers acknowledged that the time could be coming that though he's unsure after his 15th nfl season ends whether it's on new year's day in detroit or on a later date he'll retreat to his miami home and make a decision the 36 year old pass rusher no longer will be under contract with the green bay packers his three-year, $26 million deal expires at season's end. Retirement is an option, but Pepper says he isn't ready to rule out 
returning for a 16th season. Pepper says himself, I'm not saying that I don't want to play next year. I'm not saying that I do. I'm just saying right now, I don't know. And I'll figure it out on some point. Gary, you want him back for number 16? Uh, I, I sure would take him back, John. I, I think Peppers has been ageless with the Packers. He's certainly discovered a new fountain of youth here in Green Bay. Um, I, I love the way the Packers have approached handling him at age 36. Uh, I, you know, you look at his, his snap breakdown, 70% of his snaps this season have been on pass rush plays. Uh, so they're not necessarily wearing out the tires on the snaps where they, they have other bodies capable of defending those plays. Uh, and, and he's played about two full games fewer than Nick Perry, which, given Perry's injury that'll keep him out of this Sunday's game, uh, certainly feels like the Packers could load a little bit of a heavier uh, snap count on Peppers as the season winds down here. I think they're in great shape. Uh, I think he's in great shape to to have a strong end of the season, and whether he decides to go out on top or uh, take it for another run next year, I'll, I'll have him back. What do you think, John? I think I would certainly like to see him back. I'd have a hard time putting a number that I would like to see uh, as far as a salary at having him back. If he could perform like he is this year, I would put him somewhere in the 6 to $9 million range. That doesn't seem outlandish for a guy guy like Peppers. especially. I mean, Mike Daniels was the, the highest-paid packer on the defensive line. Next year, he'll make $10 million. So if you put Peppers at, what, seven and a half, eight somewhere in there I think that'd be that'd be worth it just just for the threat that he brings it seems like he's really turned it on these last two or three weeks and he I mean when he when he really puts the throttle down he can still clown guys he can still throw offensive linemen around like it's absolutely nothing so in that that sack he had against Brock Osweiler last week um one of the best vinable moments of the NFL season for the Packers this year uh seeing Peppers essentially throw the offensive linemen aside and Brock Osweiler acting as anybody should when they see Julius Peppers running for them essentially turning around and running for his life which I thought was really funny a certainly understandable response. One bonus headline here because it kind of dovetails with this sort of situation. Packers defensive tackle Mike Pinnell uh, has decided he will not fight the NFL's uh, additional suspension of him further, settling for a four-game suspension. That means he's essentially going to be out for the rest of the season here for the Packers the rest of the regular season here. That puts the Packers in a bit of a bind in terms of bodies. Production... I guess I have to say this kindly a little bit. This is going to sound harsh, but it's it's not necessarily a slide at Pinnell. Production hasn't necessarily been his game. And by then, I mean, he only has five tackles in the eight games that he's played. But a guy like Mike Pinnell is not supposed to be the pass rusher or the guy who's getting a lot of tackles. He's just a space eater inside. Where this hurts the Packers is just not having another available big body inside to do those sorts of things that free up rushers uh, like Julius Peppers, like Mike Daniels, like anybody else. Uh, Now those blockers aren't accounted for uh, to the extent that they would have been before. And I think additionally, John, what it does is it, it exposes some more of the Packers youth on that defensive line. So if you look at who's behind Pinnell on that line, you've got uh, Kenny Clark, who's been starting. Uh, You've also got Christian Ringo, a draft pick from, last season and then Dean Lowry uh, a a draft pick from from this season 
who have all taken snaps in, in interior line. And, and I know Peppers has in some exotic blitz packages as well, too. Uh, truthfully, I'm, I'm excited to see a little bit more Dean Lowry. Um, I was really high on him uh, coming into the year. I think that while he certainly isn't the space eater that Pinnell is, uh, he has that long frame at six foot six. And in college, he deflected 17 passes in three seasons, um, which is something considering he played in a Big Ten school, Northwestern, where, uh, you know, you're facing the likes of Wisconsin, Nebraska, Minnesota every year uh, who are trying to put it on the ground as much as possible. So if it's more opportunities for Ringo and Lowry, let's see what they got. And, um, you know, it certainly feels like Pinnell, uh, this suspension won't disqualify him from coming back next season. No, and I think your point there is well taken about getting some of the younger guys some more opportunities. I think ultimately where Pinnell is going to hurt the Packers or the loss of Pinnell hurts him is on early downs, those sort of run-stuffing downs. If the Packers can make do on those downs without Pinnell and the bigger loss might actually be uh, Nick Perry with the hand injury, but if they can get by on those early downs, I think bringing Dean Lowry in on passing downs or shifting Julius Peppers inside as an interior rusher on passing downs. I think that'll help the Packers get by. But if they can just get through those first couple downs, I think they'll be okay against the Seattle Seahawks this week. We will talk about the Seattle Seahawks and what's coming up for the Packers over the next couple weeks in just a minute. But first, I want to make you aware of a couple opportunities uh, coming up with us here at Blue58 and at thepowersweep.com as a whole. Uh, Gary and I recently had the opportunity to hook up with some of my old running mates in Milwaukee. As some of you may know, I used to be a news anchor and reporter uh, for 620 WTMJ in Milwaukee. Well, we have some very exciting news. Uh, Blue 58 is going to be a charter member of the brand new, I don't even know what they're calling it because it's so new, but the brand new 620 WTMJ podcast network. Our friends up in Milwaukee uh, with Scripps and a few other companies are putting together a podcast network of things of local interest to the people in Wisconsin. And the Packers are, of course, of local interest to the people up and down the uh, fabulous Lake Michigan Lakeshore in uh, in Wisconsin. We're going to be a part of that, but to be a part of that, ultimately, this project is going to have to make a little bit of money. So there are going to be some opportunities to advertise with us here on Blue 58. We have media kits available on the website and via email if you would like to get in touch with us. Reach out at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com or get in contact with us through thepowersweep.com. The contact link there, very easily marked. Okay, let's take a look at Seattle. Blue 58! So the Seattle Seahawks, Gary. I think there have been a couple high-profile matchups between the Packers and Seahawks in recent memory. <laughs> Just a couple. I hate this This team. one a little bit different. I hate them so much, but we will get to that. This team feels a little bit different on both sides of the ball than in past years. The Seattle Seahawks doing a lot better than I thought they were before I looked at their even really at their record. They're 8-3 and 1 in the driver's seat for the second or the driver's seat for the second seed uh in the NFC uh, in terms of playoff positioning. And really they are Russell Wilson's team now. There's no more Marshawn Lynch. He is the dominant force on this team, and he has been increasingly over the season. He's gotten over some early season injuries, now to the point where he is the Russell Wilson that everyone expects him to be. A mobile passer, making good decisions, uh, leading his team, more often than not, to great outputs on offense. We'll discount that game in Tampa Bay a couple weeks ago. For the Packers, 
I really want to focus on three things here. We're four games away from the end of the regular season. We're four games away from the start of the playoffs. The Packers can conceivably make the playoffs as the NFC North champions or through a long series of situations, make it as a wild card team. We've gotten past the point where the sky is falling in Green Bay. The Packers have now won two games in a row. So the question I want to answer as we started out the show with is where do we go from here? Where do we go with the Packers this week? Where do we go with the Packers this month? And where do we go with the Packers say over the next six to eight months between now and the start of next season? So for this week, Gary, it's the Seattle Seahawks. The big storyline coming into this game Earl Thomas, he's not going to be playing. What's your first read of that situation with Earl Thomas being out for this week? My first read is that there's still a very good Seattle secondary, and as much as Earl Thomas is a, a showstopper of a player, boy, if I had to pick one of those guys to take out of the lineup, I'd pick Richard Sherman given Aaron Rodgers' complete hesitance to, to throw his way. Um, you know, Last year, the, the Packers and Seahawks squared off without Cam Chancellor. Uh, and, and while Green Bay came out on top, it certainly wasn't uh, a situation where you felt like the Seahawks secondary was so different without him. Um, I don't all said, I'm not convinced this is going to make much of a difference in this matchup. I don't think so either. And it's partly because of the way the Packers play. Uh, the Packers don't really have a deep threat. Uh, I tweeted partially as a joke, partially seriously last week during the game, that on one play, uh, Aaron Rodgers was throwing deep, looking for his favorite deep target, defensive pass interference. I mean, the Packers just don't have that guy who goes deep, and that's Earl Thomas's main responsibility. Uh, the section from Bob McGinn's scouting report on the Seattle secondary this week kind of speaks to that a little bit. They talk about Thomas's replacement, and he writes, quote, Previously, they've inserted free safety Stephen Terrell, a 2014 free agent now with his third team. He can run 4-3-8 in the 40, but his instincts, patience against play action, and willingness to run support are questionable. Another option would be to shift a cornerback to Sean Shedd, a former safety, to the back end. He's developed rapidly as a press corner with strong hands and a good understanding of routes. His speed, 4-5-6, has been just okay. So Seattle, it seems like, really is just going to go with a safety valve at safety, some guy who's going to be back there just in case everything else goes wrong, and I think that that plays to their strengths. What do you make of Jimmy Graham coming up against a Packers team that seems to have trouble against tight ends? Uh, you know, John, I was really surprised when I looked at the data uh, just how pedestrian Jimmy Graham's numbers have been against the Packers. On one hand, it's a comfort to know that even in his time in New Orleans where uh, Drew Brees uh, only threw to Jimmy Graham. I'm, I'm still not convinced any of those seasons he completed a pass to anyone else. Uh, Jimmy Graham still was held pretty much in check in some rather large Saints blowouts against the Packers. And then additionally, his only game against Green Bay held in check with just one reception for 11 yards. I, it, I hate to be that guy here, but doesn't it feel like this is finally going to be the game where you hear Joe Buck say Jimmy Graham's name 8 million times and you hear Troy Aikman rave about Jimmy Graham and you just want to jam knitting needles into your eyes? It feels like that, especially because of 
how tight ends tend to play against the Packers. It seems like they've never had that guy who can just shut down tight ends or or at least inconvenience tight ends, though they have done pretty well against tight ends the, the last couple weeks. Uh, Zach Ertz from Philadelphia, uh, just three catches for 36 yards. Last week against the Texans, Texans C.J. Fedorowicz, uh, six catches, 44 yards. Six catches seems like a lot, but if you hold him to a long of just 13, I think you're doing okay. Now, Jimmy Graham, obviously an entirely different animal there, but he seems like the kind of guy who goes hot and cold, too, as you pointed out. Um, I think a, a, a scout told Bob McGinn about Richard Rodgers. Now, this is an entirely different comparison, that Rodgers was one of those guys who looked like Tarzan but played like Jane. He came up small sometimes is is the the point there. Maybe Graham has a little bit of that in the in him too because if there's anybody who should be able to take advantage of a team like the Packers, it seems like it should be Jimmy Graham. I agree. I think that uh, I think that Graham is 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 primed to have a good day, and who knows? Maybe Christian Michael can can sneak into the defensive uh, coaching room and give him a couple tips on how to stop Jimmy Graham. If there's anything that a five foot ten running back could do against Jimmy Graham, I mean, I'm sure Christian Michael would be the guy. He seems like the guy who has that kind of <laughs> attitude that maybe just throw him out there, see what he can do. He can't be any worse than Micah Hyde playing on a bum ankle like it seems like always happens against big tight ends. Well, John, I just want to uh, clarify, I'm not looking for Michael to to line up against Jimmy Graham. I'm looking for him to just uh dish the dirt, you know. What's uh what are Jimmy Graham's uh, weak points that we can trash talk him with out on the line of scrimmage? Maybe that uh, maybe there is something to that, but I'd I'd wanted to turn to you for the the next part of this discussion, the next month for the Packers. So setting the stage for you a little bit here, the Packers already have won two games in a row after Aaron Rodgers made his "let's run the table" sort of rah rah comment, about as rah rah as Aaron Rodgers ever gets, um, for that matter. Uh, the Packers won two two games, uh, four left between now and the end of the season. Conservatively, they probably have to go three and one. Um, to get to the postseason, if they go three and one, they probably need Detroit to go two and two over the next four weeks. Detroit's looking real good, so it might have to be those four and zero. Oh. That would put the Packers on a six-game winning streak to end the season. And Gary, you've got some research on some teams that have done that in the not too distant past. Well, I've got some good news and some bad news on that front, John. The good news is that in the past ten seasons, there have been six teams that have won at least six straight games to finish the regular season. Uh, The bad news, um, well, the good news is that they've all made the playoffs. The bad news being none of them have won a Super Bowl. Uh, I think you'll, you'll note some, some teams, some memorable teams on this list. And I think the Packers are hoping to join this. Uh, Last year, the Kansas City Chiefs started out one and five and, uh, finished ripped off 10 games in a row to finish 11 and five. Now there's a sneaky team. Um, you know, that's, that's won a whole lot of games, uh, under the radar, but they lost in the divisional round of the playoffs to, to new England. Then in the, the year prior, 2014, you've got the Seattle Seahawks winning six straight to improve their record from six and four, six and four to 12 and four. Uh, unfortunately, their season, actually, I'm not going to say unfortunately, I'm going to say fortunately, uh, they lost in the Super Bowl that year on a Malcolm Butler interception uh, to New England. If you're picking up a trend here, you're smart. Then uh, <laughs> the Washington Redskins in 2012 
uh, behind the rookie Robert Griffin III, uh, improved the record from three and six and won seven in a row to go to ten and six, won the NFC East. Unfortunately, you might remember uh, RG3 and Mike Shanahan um, essentially ending both of their careers in, in that wild card game against Seattle with RG3 bending his leg in ways that it shouldn't go. Then, finally, these last three all happened between 2007 and 2006. You've got the undefeated 16-0 New England Patriots, who, of course, lost in the Super Bowl to the New York Giants. Uh, I would argue that game should have been against Green Bay, but story for another day. Uh, The 2007 San Diego Chargers appear on that list. Uh, That's the team that uh, Phillip Rivers tore his ACL in and, and stayed in the playoffs. Uh, They won six straight to finish their season. And then the 2006 San Diego Chargers, uh, the memorable Marty Schottenheimer 14-2 squad that lost in the divisional round, they won their final 10 in a row um, only to lose to New England in that first game. So the good, all of those teams made the playoffs. So the Packers, they can rip off four more wins. They're in the playoffs. The bad, none of them won a Super Bowl. So I am full in on what Vic Ketchman, um, the, I guess, semi-former editor of Packers.com called the lottery ticket theory. He's, he, he thought, and I think rightly so, that getting to the playoffs is like buying a lottery ticket. You want to be in the game, and you can't be in the game unless you got a ticket. Anything can happen once you get in the playoffs. And so I would I would not be super discouraged by all of those teams losing in the playoffs or in Seattle's situation, losing in the Super Bowl. I think the the bigger thing here is that it can be done. Like you pointed out, three times in the last four seasons, a team has won six in a row or better to end the season uh, and made it to the playoffs. So I I am encouraged by that. Uh, Do you think it can be done? I'm not sure. Do you think it can be done? Well, uh, part of it is the ability of the team and in the makeup of the team but the other half is who who you're up against uh i don't want to kick the can and say well let's look at it next week after seattle because i think this is really the the hinge game that this potential six game winning streak will depend on if they can beat seattle a team that by all accounts has been one of the nfc's best outside of dallas i i think against finishing against your divisional opponents is is an area where Mike McCarthy has traditionally succeeded as a coach and the Packers can do it. So um, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think when I did the research on teams that have, have won six or more straight to finish the year, seeing Kansas city from last year and Washington, especially those were two teams that uh, certainly talented, but, but not otherworldly talented, like say new England or, you know, those San Diego teams back in the day, or begrudgingly, I'll say the Seahawks in 2014, there are some pretty normal teams that just kind of got hot and ripped it off. What do you think, John? A big thing in sports is not who you play so much as when you play them. And I think out of the next four games, the Packers are in a really strong position as far as when they're playing these teams with, with two of the four. Um, Chicago playing them at any time this season. Is a great is a great thing for your football team because chances are you're going to win. Uh, Paul Noonan, one of our colleagues at Acme Packing Company, tweeted today: somehow the Bears, I think, are even worse than their record. 
And <laughs> that is both really satisfying to say and really sad if you're a fan of the Chicago Bears. Um, the Vikings, too, I think it's a really advantageous time to play the Minnesota Vikings. I will make a point of never feeling bad for anything that happens to a Minnesota Vikings fan, short of bodily harm or terrible personal situations. But the things that are happening to this team this year are hilarious if you're a fan of the Green Bay Packers and just horrible if you're a fan of the Vikings. <laughs> uh, fate, it seems, is out to get the the Vikings because they cannot keep anybody healthy at all, even their coach at a detached retina. Yeah, so I feel really good about playing those two teams. They need to trade but their the coach Seahawks? to the Buccaneers. And uh, and Adrian Peterson today, I don't know if you saw this, John, he said he doesn't want to come back unless the Vikings are in the playoff chase. Now, that's That seems so counterintuitive <laughs> to me. Uh, like, wouldn't you want to help them be in the playoff chase? I, I don't get it. I, it, seems, it seems like that's what you would want to be. But the Seahawks, like I was saying, the Seahawks, they're on a bit of a tear right now. And the, the Lions are as hot as you could ever imagine a team being that is the Detroit Lions. I don't think anybody would have predicted them doing the things that they're doing this year at the start of the season, yet here they are. One power ranking I saw today had them ranked as the sixth best, best team in the league. I don't know if that's high or maybe even low. But I think it's low. Ver- really? I think it's low. I think Detroit, it, People power rankings, people get it messed up, or maybe I'm the only one that thinks it this way, but it's – Detroit is not the sixth best team right now. They're top three. You can't winning in New Orleans is hard. They beat New Orleans. Yeah. They're on a roll. That game against Minnesota on Thanksgiving was really impressive. Uh, up there with Dallas and New England for me. That's where Detroit is right now. Well, to that point, I guess it's uh, it's again not who you play, but when you play them. And right now, it seems like. Like the Lions are about as hot a team as you could possibly imagine, and hopefully they're a little bit cooler when we play them in the month. So to wrap this segment up, I want to talk a little bit about where the Packers go from here in terms of of the long term. Uh, This week uh, in our walkthroughs column on AcmePackingCompany.com, I talked about this potentially being the end of of an era uh, for this group of players uh, on the Green Bay Packers. What I mean by that is that they've come to a situation where there are a lot of big name and frankly aging players who are coming to the end of their time with the Packers or at least the end of their contracts. 11 players are uh, looking at unrestricted free agency at the end of the season. That list includes Julius Peppers, TJ Lang, Nick Perry, Jared Cook, Dayton Jones, Brett Good, Brett Good, Eddie Lacy, Christine Michael, Kristen Michael, I always want to say his name wrong, Don Barkley, J.C. Treader, and Micah Hyde. Obvi- arguably eight and perhaps as high as ten of those guys are either starters or have been starters at some point in their career in Green Bay. Couple that with a few very high-priced players uh, heading into next season in the form of Clay Matthews, whose cap number next year is $15.2 million dollars, Randall Cobb at 12.75, Sam Shields at just over 12, and Jordy Nelson at 11.5 million. It just seems like this is the sort of situation where there's going to be some retooling happening. Not all 11 of those unrestricted free agents are going to be back, and I don't think all four of those guys who have the, the high price tags are going to be back either. I'm kind of looking at Sam Shields as a guy who might, for maybe reasons other than salary, might be looking to, to move along after this season. But there's going to be some changes, 
And if this team is a contender, this might be the last time this group of guys is a serious contender. This could be the last stand of the this group of Packers. And, and the scary thing to think back, John, is in five years, will we look at this iteration or this kind of era of the Packers and and think they underachieved? I, I'm hesitant to use the word underachieving because I think you kind of have to group this this group of guys with the kind of the 2014 group. So Julius Peppers came in in 2014, and that's where a lot of these guys were either early or kind of in their peak in their contract years. I mean, Jordy Nelson had a huge year in 2014. Clay Matthews was, was much better in 2014 than he was this year. Uh, Peppers, again was phenomenal in 2014 so let's let's just call this the 2014 group uh if you look at where that 2014 group has been i mean they were in the nfc championship game uh a couple freak fluke plays away from being in the super bowl so i i don't know if you can call that underachieving so much of what happened in that game was just absolutely out of their control i mean if it if a ball doesn't ricochet off brandon bostick's face uh, they're probably playing the, the, uh. the Patriots in the super bowl i mean and then if not for the coin flip not going their way in Arizona, they'd have been back in the NFC Championship game again the next year. So I don't know if you can say underachieved. They haven't necessarily made the most of a couple big opportunities, but by and large, this has been a pretty successful group. And I think it's a little bit sad to see them coming to the end of their run. Regardless, so to wrap it all up, yeah. Regardless, you've got a lot of guys that are gonna that are, that aren't gonna be here next year, and it, it is sad. Yeah, it is sad. So to wrap it all up, uh, let's talk a little bit about what we what we predict for this week. Gary, what is what is your quick prediction for this week in uh, in Lambeau against Seattle? Well, uh, I predict at least uh, fifty Joe Buck passes. Uh, that's my first over under. I'm sitting at fifty. I think as far as the game goes. I like Seattle. I picked Seattle on Acme Packing. I, I think they probably put an end to this to this Packer team in this season. Uh, though I will flip my tune and say the Packers are going to win the Super Bowl if they beat Seattle. So uh, this is either the podcast that I look back on and go, man, was I not uh, not brave enough to go out on the limb or go, whew, smart guy. So... Well, I'll take I Seattle. Use my catchphrase there and say, "Coming in hot, Gary." <laughs> the first uh, first appearance on the podcast predicting either a Packers loss or a Super Bowl Super Bowl victory. Uh, like you, I would pick Seattle. I picked them in the in the APC picks this week, and I didn't think about it too long. This just seems like a team that matches up really well with the Packers, particularly on offense. I mean, it's not just Jimmy Graham; they've got deep threat for deep threats for days. Uh, Doug Baldwin, just the little ball of fire that he is, seems like he is going to give Demarius Randall or Quentin Rollins or whoever just fits. Um, he's a lot like Stephon Diggs in, in a couple different ways that just terrify me, if you remember what happened on that terrible Sunday night game. It really uh, it just doesn't seem like a good matchup for the Packers. I think 3-1 and one still gets it done for the Packers. I think as hot as Detroit is right now, they're still a flawed team, and I think the Packers beat them in Detroit, and Detroit finds a way to lose one other game. But I've been wrong before. So um, I think if the Packers win, they can still make the playoffs. I'm not going to say they're, they're going to win the Super Bowl. I'm not as confident as you, Gary. But 
I don't know. Uh, I, I still think they can get it done, even if they lose to Seattle this week, which I think is going to happen. That's going to be about it for this week. Uh, Gary, any final words for the folks? Uh, good night, Canada. Good night, Canada, indeed. You can find us several different places here at The Power Sweep on Facebook and Twitter, both places we are at The Power Sweep. Of course, the website itself is thepowersweep.com, and you can find us via email at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. want to remind you we are looking for potential advertisers. If you'd like to throw your name uh, in with the, the, blue, uh, the Power Sweep and Blue 58, Feel free to reach out in any of those avenues that we mentioned before. We'd be more than happy to start a conversation with you about how you can be involved in what we're doing here. For Gary Zilvey, I'm John Meerdink. We'll see you next week on Blue 58.